Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, I want to start off with a little exercise here, Mike. Are you, uh, you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm limber. Let's do this. Okay, I want you to rank your level of, let's say, agitation over the following three items. You got me? You got it. These are all relating to the Leafs, obviously. It's the uh, last live, laugh Leafs that are actually gonna talk about what we just saw. So obviously we're starting off with the Leafs before we dive into you know the teams that are actually good enough to play games mm-hmm. in late August. Anyway, uh, okay, number one, first item, beaten by the Zamboni driver. Number two, losing in the first round of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And number three, Today's exit meeting with Shanahan, Dubas, and Keith. Please rank those. See, you, got, you started me off with the entire, with the hardest question possible. Um, obviously, David Ayers is number one. I, that was the most agitated I think I've ever been about sports. Um, it, it was awful. And I have to pick you, I have to pick, uh, I guess, a little nitpick here with you is that they didn't get bounced in the first round because they didn't make the first round. This was not the first true, round. True, 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 true. Okay, so let me, re- can I revise number two? Absolutely. Go ahead. Losing in the play-in round to the Columbus yes. Blue Jackets, number two. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to go, lose, yeah, it's going to go in the order that you presented them to me. Losing, it's David Ayers losing in the play-in round, and then today's, uh, today's ex-interviews, but the last two, they're not separated by much. Let's put it that way. Okay, clearly that didn't work as intended because I was trying to set up for the fact that today's exit meeting with the big three, three guys that matter most in Leafland, was it about as bad as those two items? It was horrible. Do you not agree with me? It was rough. It was really, really bad. It is in a week that has essentially seen Leafs fans get kicked, get get you know knocked down and then kicked while they're on the ground all the time. It was the you know all the missed posts and getting bounced out of the playoff playing round, and then also their lottery ball hitting the post. And having the rain and pushing the Rangers ball up into, you know, whatever into destiny or fate or the, a, a better future. Um, these these ex interviews were like, you know, from a fan's perspective, I think the one saving grace where you could hear, you know, some some a strong, confident voice, you know, steering into the future. And it just it seemed personal. It seemed weird. It seemed petulant in a way. Like this was it. It didn't it didn't give. It shouldn't have given fans any more confidence that this team is, is, you know, going to be better moving forward than they are right now. Okay, we obviously have to dive into the details. But before we do that, I'm still – you're still not over the David Ayers thing? No. They lost to the Zamboni driver. That, you can't laugh and, about it yet? 
Oh, I can. It's the I'm, off I'm, season. It's oh, the no. second off season. I'm not mad. I'm laughing. It's just funny to me. Okay, I'm glad then. I, I, we need to we need to be able to laugh at that because if we don't, I mean, this might just turn into the most morbid podcast on you know, Apple iTunes and all the other places you can find live laugh leads. Yeah, or it's my you know Zoom therapy session. Congratulations, you got the job. Okay, let's dig into it. Get into your uh, reclined position on your couch because uh, it is time for therapy. I, I don't know exactly where to start. It was about two hours of Zoom meetings mm -hmm. involving, I think there was eight players and obviously uh, the general manager, the president and the head coach, they all went up together, which I have a little bit of an issue with that, but whatever, they did what they did. Trying to make the best of a situation in which Zoom is the only way we can communicate with these people. But I think it's probably right to start with Kyle Dubas. I think obviously uh, most of the questions were directed to him in about an hour's worth of a conversation with the media, uh, with those three guys, as I mentioned, up. Uh, and what I noticed was just a complete lack of accountability. And it's, it's funny because this exact moment, even though it was months later last year, he was willing to take all the blame for the Maple Leafs failures. He was willing to take all the blame for Mike Babcock. He was willing to take the blame even for, you know, players that made significant and costly mistakes like Nazem Kadri. Yes, he didn't say for certain that Nazem Kadri would be back in the fold, and eventually he obviously traded him. Uh, but he sort of stepped up in that instance and said, this was all on me. Um, I've been critical about the fact that he's built a flawed team, most notably with his defense. And through about probably 30 plus minutes of dialogue from him alone today. I don't think we heard him own up to anything. Did you catch anything on, uh, on Twitter or uh, on that zoom call? Nope. It was all, um, it was all deflecting. It was all, you know, defensiveness. It was all, I don't know why you guys think this, the, the conversation around this is ridiculous. Uh, you know, our internal metrics rate this person higher. So I don't under it's, this, I think the reason, too, why there was this lack of accountability is because last season, this is the first year that it's been Dubas's team through and through. Um, this has been the first year where, where I think a lot of the remnants of, of the past era, of, of, even though Mike Babcock was the, co the coach of this team for the first 20 games, the, you know, a lot of loose fingerprints were essentially gone. And this was the team that Dubas compiled himself, and it underperformed the same way. And so now before he could take that, before he could take that blame, before he could say, this is all on me, because when, in reality, it wasn't really all, all on him. And he, I think he knew that. And I think he knew that, uh, you know, he was able to kind of fall on that grenade because he, because he had something better coming. Um, but now this is that thing. And it was worse than last year. So uh, he, he clearly is, is getting caught up in, in, in you know, in, in how uh, people, feel when when their project when their baby is has failed and you know we like to think of Kyle Dubas as this guy who's above um above the hockey man tropes but he's a hockey man through and through like he he has his guys that he likes he you know he you know he he fits he fits the mold of he hires his friends he, he has the guys he likes he fits that mold he just looks at looks about it in a different way but he still you know ticks off a lot of those boxes and one of those boxes is well this isn't my fault and it's a defensiveness and we're seeing a guy who's maturing in front of the spotlight. We're seeing a guy who is now facing some serious questions about where the future of this team is going. Um, who's made a lot of bets on himself that haven't come through. And this is kind of the reaction to it. And it's not really not encouraging. It's not encouraging to see right now. So the defense of his, of himself, uh, 
it was sort of shown in a variety of ways, but one of those ways was that he isn't who we think he is, was sort of his message in a lot of it. He is not the guy that cares only about this one thing, which is, you know, uh, maybe it's an analytics focused uh, or an offensive focused strategy. It's he isn't, he says, who we think he is. Um, which is interesting because I think that opens the door from him to make his changes. And I think we've seen the changes that he's wanted to make uh, or he's sort of reluctantly made. I don't know if it's reluctant. Maybe that's not the right word. But we've seen him admit that he's made some mistakes just with the moves he's done. He hasn't said it personally, but just with the moves he's done, obviously Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford are two that come to mind. But he would not admit to making a mistake with any of his transactions. Uh, uh, and obviously I keep going back to the defense because I think that is the main thing. And I, we only had one question each basically today. I'm not sure if there was a couple of people that got two, but uh, there was a long queue, 25 reporters on there, everyone with a question and just went down. So you didn't have much, didn't have much, so you better make, make it count. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know about the defense. So that's what I went with. And he ran down everyone, but the two guys that we wanted all know about is Tyson Berry and Cody Cece. And what he did was say that Tyson's Berry, Tyson Berry failed with this organization. This is the only thing actually they took blame for was their fault for not giving him the, the ability to make a smooth transition from one team to the other. Yeah. So it's not the fact that they misevaluated him. It's not the fact that he uh, just didn't meet his, the expectations or the performance standards that he has for himself. It was not, you know, that they, it wasn't that this player is bad. It wasn't that this player was misevaluated. It was this player was just not put in a good space to come over and play out his UFA year. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. The next thing, and the, and the more egregious one, was the fact that, as you alluded to earlier, is that he is staunch in his defense that Cody Cece was actually a good acquisition. He didn't, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, he didn't say this directly, I know. but he, he acknowledged that Cody Cece. Uh, doesn't have the same puck skills, but his defensive value is seen, is, is first off there, but also seen through just metrics that either they're looking at or if there was puck and tracking data for this season, which there was supposed to be, but there wasn't. And that's a whole nother conversation altogether. Another failure on the NHL. And we shouldn't rag on the NHL because they're doing a great job right now, but it was supposed to be there. And then we could actually see what they actually mean. Cause apparently they have some, uh, insight into uh, the player tracking and what it would say about a player like Cody Cece. So not only is he a great player and we know he is based on this data, but you'll never be able to see that data because it doesn't actually exist. So they basically just grasped at something and will yeah. not admit that Cody Cece is not either not a good player or did not perform well enough this year because they have the data that you pigeons do not have. That's basically mm-hmm. what they were saying. Now I get you want to protect Cody Cece. But at some point, someone has to someone has to fall on the sword here. Someone has to be blamed for something. And if no one's going to be blamed for anything, then you're not showing that you're a competent organization because you're not learning from your mistakes. That's it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. This was we now know, like if if Cody CC because he's because I believe the the quote was you know like Cody CC uh, like in how we value defensemen, like we rate Cody Cece highly or something like that. So if, if, if Cody Cece represents how the Toronto Maple Leafs value defensemen, then we now know why their defense and their blue line has sucked for as long as I can remember. 
I don't under like what sport. I don't I don't care about about the other numbers. Yeah, cool. You the team had had some great you know underlying metrics. They had some awesome expected goals. It was fantastic. They're not playing hockey anymore. They're out of the playoffs. At a certain point, you need results. You don't need numbers. You need results. Cody Cece had terrible results this season. Maybe the worst we've seen in a Leafs defenseman of the modern era. He was horrible. He every his he's had more legit attempts at goals that have been gift because they're so comically bad than he has made good plays. It's ridiculous. Like, uh, I, I don't understand how, how, a, how such a forward thinking general manager who had such a you know, pedigree of success going into here before, who's made some great moves, who I think is at the forefront of the sport and one of the top executives in the league. I am still a Dubas believer, but, but I don't understand how he can view a player, how he can watch the game. It doesn't even matter about the numbers, how he can watch the game look he has a great seat in his in, in you know in the, in the leafs box how he can look down the ice watch the game see what cody cc does and think yes that's great he has some great value to our team that was worth it i don't get why the referendums are going on here unbelievable and for him to just for him for him to say multiple times throughout the year multiple because this is not the first time that he's had to defend cody cc it's not the first time he's come out publicly and done it Clearly, this is a pet project of his. Clearly, he wanted to be the one who was, you know, who's, who's behind the reclamation project of Cody Cece. And he pinned the hopes of his defense to that with a guy who has six years of track record of it not working. He pinned the hopes of, this, of his defense to that in a contention year, and it didn't work. And so clearly, he feels personally, you know, slighted when people criticize it. And that's fine. You know, he, I, I want someone to have passion and try and make the team better. But Cody Cece is a bad NHL defenseman, point blank. And not only did they, they keep him, they paid him $4.5 million a year. And these, in these words that he said today, these quotes, make me worry that they're going to re-sign him again. So just not a great day when it comes to the Zoom pressers today. I mean, that was, that was my next question uh, to you was, or my next point at least, was the fact that if you believe by your numbers – and, and, and we have every reason to believe that what their, their process is something that they believe wholeheartedly in. If that shows, if those numbers show and their model shows that Cody Cece is a positive influence and an underrated defenseman in terms, not even underrated, I mean, he's not rated, period. But if he's actually a productive player for them, even at $4.5 million, that, that gives you some anxiety as a Leafs fan that he might be back in the fold and that they wouldn't learn from this mistake. I tend to think that, you know, he's just trying to protect CC here and not trying to throw a player under the bus and maybe so. just protecting himself for, for a little bit for, or in a certain, to a certain extent. Um, but the, the Leaf fans hoping, hoping that they could wash their hands of this nightmare, at least today and forever that you can't have, you don't have the opportunity to do that because Kyle Dubas still believes in Cody Cece. It's crazy. I, I don't, like I said, I don't understand how he can watch the same sport that we watch and think that Cody Cece provides positive value. He was horrible. He had, the bar was so low that he would have like a game where he wouldn't actively like prevent the team from winning. And people would be like, oh yeah, Cody Cece. I tweeted myself. There was a night where he hadn't done anything like confoundingly stupid. And I was like, wow, I haven't hated him tonight. It's never you like Cody Cece. It's you haven't hated him. And you know what I think is, is annoying for Leafs fans is that they expected better from this. They expected something different. And this is the same dumb out. How different is the way that 
that Kyle Dubas used Cody Cece to how Jim Rutherford used Jack Johnson. How different is that? It's the exact same. And you expected something different. You expected outside of the box thinking. You expected, you know, players to be evaluated properly based on how modern hockey is played. And right now, Kyle Dubas, at least with Cody Cece, has let those fans down in that regard. He is the exact, he is, he is no different in this regard than any of the other hockey men, quote unquote, that, that people were so tired of and that he was supposed to be a breath of fresh air for. It's disappointing. You're telling me the only difference between Rutherford and, and uh, Kyle Dubas is the three Stanley Cups that Jimmy has? Yes, but and that's a pretty big difference. But how different is it? He, they both value clearly bad defensemen and come out and, and who, who, were, who were acquired through, like, through you know, intentional you know, uh, acquisition by them and became, became tied to them as their pet projects and are clearly failing. And they've had to both come out and publicly defend them on multiple occasions. It's the exact same situation. Yeah, I mean, and there's obviously a negative connotation with uh, hockey man. But, you know, if he has the success that Jim Rutherford has, you would take that. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't misevaluate a certain player uh, and that you, you can't see the fact that one player doesn't have the value that you believe they have. Um, but, it, but you're right. I think this is proof, and this, the, these Zoom calls have been proof, that he's not all that much different. And he didn't oh. even want to be painted different anymore. He wanted to be painted different before. He was trying to walk that back as much as possible in this, which is scary because as what Lee fans have come to love about him and, and why they might be falling out of love with him to a certain extent is that he is different, that he's willing to look at things a, a different way. But it's, it's like he's not, he's not gravitating towards the norm in the ways that are positive for a hockey team, which is, yeah, teams need other ways to win and they can't all be tied up in this. But Cody Cece, Jack Johnson, those are not avenues toward victory. So if you're only gravitating in that area, then, then it's the worst of both worlds scenario mm -hmm. for the Leafs who, who are just spinning their tires at this point. Yeah, it's, it's ego. He wanted to be the one who could rebuild Cody Cece. He wanted to be the one who could help him hit that potential that apparently he had and, you know, for so long that no one else could. And he failed. And he doesn't feel the need to admit that. And so that's what this defensiveness was going on today. And I guess even like with, uh, he did, he, he, there were a lot of swings and misses that happened this year. I think there were a lot of good, like a lot of positive acquisitions that he did, but I think there were a lot of swings and misses. And one of them again was the Marner contract. And then this will be a nice segue into that, I guess. Um, and he called the criticism of Marner on the market idiotic. This was an angry Dubis. This was a, like, I've seen this word floating around social media and I think it's, it's, it's applicable. This is a petulant Dubas. This is a guy who said, who doesn't want to admit his mistakes. And at that point, how different is he than the guy that he fired in November? Because we were here, like you said, you know, a year ago or a little over a year ago, I guess, because, you know, time doesn't matter anymore. And you had the coach of the team who was, I'd say, you know, the most responsible for their lack of success, taking no responsibility for it, being defensive, being petulant, you know, putting the, putting the blame on everyone else for talking smack about the team, about these obvious problems that were happening. And now Dubas is doing the exact same thing, except he's the architect of this team. And so he needs to be able to shoulder most of the blame. Marner was terrible in this series. He had one, he had one even strength point. And this guy is making almost $11 million after, you know, spending the entire summer and, and you know, all of these, all, we, we know what happened, okay? It was, the, it was the most, again, petulant contract, you know, negotiation we've seen. 
And for him to show up and to fail to show up in a moment like that, put up one primary point and get bounced before the playoffs even started, you're allowed to criticize someone for that. And Dubis called everyone who, who thought that, you know, who thought who, who were criticizing him idiots. So this is, it just, it's not the composure. It's not the, it's not the poise that you'd like to see from the captain, you know, steward of the biggest, you know, franchise in Canadian sports. You, and, and one of the biggest franchises in sports in general. You don't want to see that. Um, so it was very disappointing. How much money does Austin Matthews make? I think it's 11.34. And how much does Mitch Marner make? 10.893, because he had to get his junior number in there. Just had So to. we got, you know, less than a $500,000 difference between the two? Or am I, you know, just as terrible at math as I thought I was? No, a little less than a $500,000 difference. A little less than $500,000. So, I mean, that sounds like a lot obviously a lot of money for you know normal life but in its proper context these two players are basically paid the same they're in the same mm -hmm. stratosphere same tax bracket that's for so sure. so if you don't see that one of them was far better than the other in this playoff series and that one of them doesn't deserve criticism but the but the other does like if you can't see that then what are we even looking at what one of these players, here? one of these players fulfilled the expectation. Austin Matthews fulfilled his expectation in this series. He could have been better, sure, but he scored the goals. He racked up the points. He was the guy in this series for he the Maple Leafs. No complaints there. Marner, yeah. Okay, he had a couple moments, but his performance paled in comparison to Matthews. Mm -hmm. So if if these guys are just bulletproof and you can never go after them, then that's fine. Then that's how they want it. They just don't want any criticism toward these guys. But when two guys making the same amount of money, basically, and one of them is way better than the other, then the one that's not as good is going to hear some criticism. The criticism of Mitch in this series was valid. The criticism of Mitch this season was valid. Maybe the criticism of, you know, what his agent did and what his father may have done and how he acted in the, post, in the, in the summer last year, maybe that's a slightly overblown. And maybe that's the antecedents to this or the precedence to this rather. But, you know, if we're judging them on performance and performance alone, and that's what I'm here to do, there is reason to criticize Mitch Marner for this year and these playoffs. Period. Absolutely. And, yeah, like it, Marner admitted himself that he wasn't engaged in a postseason game, or I guess a postseason qualifier game. So what are you getting paid to do? It's it, – this, these players are so comfortable here. They haven't been challenged. They, you know, Mitch Marner was comfortable enough to, to, you know, stage the coup that he did in the offseason to get paid like a player, to get paid like a player that he isn't. And he proved that. But now, once that happens, when you're in a market like this, how that should come about is if you don't perform, then the consequence of that is getting criticized. But now what? The team is, is not allowing that consequence to, to happen. The team is not allowing, you know, that, that natural consequence to, to come about. He was, a, he was bad in that series. He was not good. The team needed him to come through, and he did not. And to go out and say that – for Marner to go out and say that I wasn't engaged in a playoff game, and then for Dubis – and this is the quote that really got me. I cannot believe he said this out loud. But he said, I think the series was lost in game one and game three. Unbelievable. Like, how do, you, how do you think – if like, he, his boss was on the Zoom call at the same time. Did they show his reaction to him saying that? It's, that's absurd. So it's just – these 
there needs to be change here. And, and judging from, from Dubas's reaction today, judging from how he's evaluating these players, I'm not entirely confident that this change is going to be in the, right, in the direction that Leafs fans hope for and Leafs fans deserve. Well, here's the thing. He, tr- he treated Mitch the same way he treated CeCe. He, he defended him and, and basically said that his value is, is more than you think he is. Uh, that doesn't mean Cody CeCe is going to come back. Murder, Mitch Murder's under contract, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while one, they're both, he's doing the same thing. He's trying to protect his players. Uh, one of them probably means that, hey, we just don't want to slam you on the way out. But the other means that Mitch Murder is going to be a part of this team, likely moving forward uh, next season and probably well beyond that. And by the way it sounded in today's uh, Zoom meetings is that everybody's going to be back. The big four is going to be back. They're, I mean, I, I would be shocked now based on the commentary if they weren't back. Dubas and Keefe are definitely going to be back. Shanahan gave him the full vote of confidence. Uh, and Dubas, one of, the, one of the quotes that actually got me was that the big four are not only going to be back. Now, again, this is not a, an exact quote, but they're going to deliver value on their contracts moving forward. He said that they're going to continue to provide value on their contracts. Now, that may be so. It may be possible. It's probably not possible. Let's no. These players, these players, all of them, even William Nylander, is overpaid. They're all, they all got a premium. Now, William it, Nylander is, proved that he's exactly where he needs to be paid this year, I think. He, scored he, he, is, definitely, he, is, he is definitely – yeah, you're right. He is definitely – I think you can get away with that. I don't mm. think he showed that in the playoffs. No. But these players, they're never – going to reach their value Ever. it's almost impossible half the salary cap tied up in four players and they're going to deliver value everything that you need out of a hockey team mostly out of four players I mean they, they would all have to have career seasons offensively to hit those sort of numbers We're, like th- these are unattainable goals until the financial dynamics in the NHL even out and with a flat cap and no fans in the stands for the foreseeable future and maybe not even a, a season you know, by January, if mm-hmm. that, that's probably the best case scenario. We cannot expect the money to improve. So they are stuck with these four guys as long as they keep them under the, under the banner, not providing value on their contracts. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Is it not? It, it, no, it's impossible. You, when you, the second that you signed those contracts, you needed to understand that you're signed those contracts to keep these guys in town, not to get bang for your buck. Like it's that, that's not the way that these giant, you know, second contracts happen for superstars you don't pay a guy 10.893 million dollars a year a winger by the way who doesn't score goals 10.893 million dollars a year and say okay well this is going to be this is this is we're going to get some real you know roi on this it's going to be great no you you did it was like an it was like an anchor but like in a positive sense and like okay we have to give this guy this to keep him in town because our team is better when he's in town than when he's not but for you to go and be like, they're going to provide value for the contracts. Look, Austin Matthews is probably the closest to providing value for his contract because he's, because getting a perennial 50 goal score who is now showing huge strides in his defensive game and as a playmaker, that's, that's like invaluable. You can't even really quantify what that means. So yeah, like paying him anything is fine. But Mitch Marner. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Yes, great. Yeah. Mitch Marner is overpaid by $2 million at least. It's no winger should be making that much money unless your name's Alexander Ovechkin. And, and Alexander Ovechkin scores, or, or, you know, even David Pasternak, and he apparently likes to just give his money away. So it doesn't matter with him. But Mitch Marner, you're, you're number one. First of all, you, he has a glaring lack of flaw in his game, 
which is a shot. And with the amount of, you know, I guess assets or, or I'm trying to think facilities that the Leafs have, that should not be an excuse. You should be out there every single day working on improving your shots so you could score more goals and provide more value on your contract. And he just hasn't. He hasn't improved in that sense. And he's great with the puck. He's, he's great. He can make some great passes. But when you have, like, we've seen on, he, he hamstrings the power play because he wants to be the, a sniper that he's clearly not. It just, again, these Zoom calls were very disappointing because you thought that a, the, your general manager viewed this team, viewed the evaluation of this team in one way. And it was different than it was before. And he clearly doesn't. And so now the future is uncertain because you don't know how he's going to approach this. And for him to even come out and essentially, he didn't say it verbatim, but for him to come out and, and imply so much that, you know, the big four are going to stay put, what is driving them now? Like, af after this, is, this was a, an abject disaster that just happened. You didn't even make the playoffs. You're spending $13 million over the salary cap. You committed $40 million to four players. And you're playing the Columbus Blue Jackets in your home city in the bubble. And you don't even make it past the first round of not even the playoffs. That's a disaster. No one, no one should feel like they're safe except for maybe Austin Matthews. And for you to come out and tell everyone, no, they're going to be back. and They're going to be performing on their contracts. What is the drive? You, that, that puts the onus. That puts the onus on them to drive for the sake of the team. That, that's their, their motivation is in the, when they're working on the offseason, it's okay, we got we to gotta get over the hump. We've proven that they cannot be trusted to do that. You need to make it personal. You need to make it, if I don't work my ass off this offseason, come back in the best shape imaginable and look good in the first little bit, I'm going to be out of this city. I'm going to be out of the, uh, excuse the term, but bubble that I existed. Because when you're in Toronto, you get treated like a king, you get defended, you get all the money you want, every demand you ever have is catered to. And now whenever try, people try and you know, uh, disagree with you or criticize you, your general manager will step in front of the cameras and defend you till his death. So that should, be the, that should be the motivation, is for them to stay in town like they so clearly want. But instead, you're putting the onus on them and they've shown you no, maybe except for Matthews, and they've shown you no you know, confidence that they can do that. So just, I, this was just a, a, a loss across the board. It couldn't have gone worse. I think you make a great point. Far too comfortable, right? Like, Way again, too comfortable. not a care in the world. No consequence, consequence at all after a fourth year in a row losing. Now, Dubas's comments are one thing, but his actions are another. He doesn't necessarily have to, you know, keep these guys in the fold. He could find the right trade and spin it any which way he wants. Oh, the plan all along was to keep these guys. But when this deal presented itself, how could I say no, right? Like that could easily happen. That Mark could happen. Man. I, don't ex I don't expect that to happen because I do believe that these players, that this organization be believes in these four players and what they can do. But they are not showing us. And I think fans should have to a point, should to a point too but they need to do a far better job building around because what they've done and what they believe in just isn't working right now. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Mitch Marner and his wanting to be this, wanting to be the goal scorer, want to be, wanting mm -hmm. to be the sniper, wanting to be the guy in control in the power play. He provided what was probably the highlight of the player session of the Zoom media calls when he was asked what he wanted more of next year, what he wanted to do and improve next year, what he was looking to do in the 2020-21 season. His answer was very short. 
It was just more goals. Your thoughts? I'm glad you put so much thought into that, Mitch. It's good to know. It's good to know that you were really engaged. You looked just as engaged in this Zoom call as you did in uh, the playoffs. Like, you couldn't have given a more detailed thing than that? You couldn't have, you well, just... he, he added on a little bit, but that was the gist oh, of oh, good for what him. he's trying to do. But this isn't Mitch. This isn't, like, this is another thing that's wrong. You need to, you need to make Mitch Marner realize that he's not a goal scorer. He's not Austin Matthews. He's never going to be paid like Austin Matthews. Although it's close, he is and being he's paid never, like Austin Matthews. He's That's never going to be problem. paid more. Okay, he's never going to pay as much as Austin Matthews, even though it's close. Mm-hmm. And he's never going to score goals like him. He's not going to have the same impact in that sort of way. He has to embrace who he is. The Maple Leafs love Mitch Marner because of, you know, who he was initially, who he was before the contract, who he was when John Tavares joined, and he made John Tavares a 47 goal scorer in his first year here. They love that about him. But Mitch Marner is trying to be something that he's not. And I think that's where a lot of the criticism is. He just showed it in that simple comment. He mm-hmm. wants to be that. Yeah, I, th- I guess they want him to score more goals, sure. But what they shouldn't want him to do is take more shots because he should not be measured on his shot quantity. It's mm-hmm. not even close. This isn't the strength of his game. They need to revisit what the strengths of his game are if they even are going to get close to him providing value on that contract, which they say he's going to do. And he will never. He's like that. I think they need to, I think they need to come to terms with the fact that Mitch Marner will never provide value on that contract. The value that he provides is that he's still there. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But that's it. Like, again... You, if you pay a winger who doesn't score goals, ten point, almost eleven million dollars a year, he will never be a bargain contract. And it is shocking that we have to tell this to an NHL general manager. It's it boggles my mind. It's good that it's good that he wants to score more goals. I think I think every single player in the league should want to score more goals. But the way that he's shown that he wants to score more goals, which is essentially to just fire everything on net it hurts the team more than it impacts it. It, it hurts the team more than, than it, it values. It provides value. And as we've seen right now, it doesn't look like he's going to be changing it up. It doesn't look like he's going to be changing his strategy. So it's just going to be the same thing. So unless he makes actual huge strides and gets a better shot, you know, takes shots from better angles, doesn't try and, and you know, be the hero on every play, then maybe we'll, maybe we'll see some uptick in value in that regard. But right now, you know, Mitch Marner, he's not, he's not Austin Matthews. He wants to be Austin Matthews so badly. Like you said, he's not that. He won't be it. 
and needs to embrace being Mitch Marner. And it doesn't look like he's going to do that. Okay, the player portion of the Zoom calls was largely, you know, ineffectual, boring, not much I thought Muzzin said kind of, some, some It's kind stuff. of the usual stuff. Exactly. Jake Muzzin. Uh, there were two guys in particular, but Jake Muzzin, he's really the only real one. I mean, he's the only one that ever gives you anything of substance. Yeah. Uh, and for that reason, it's worth listening to what he has to say. He said that he does believe the Leafs are close, but they need to morph into something different in order to be different. In order to be different, they have to build those habits in the regular season because they're not going to just, you know, snap of the fingers and it's going to be there. He said, if we don't learn from this, then we are really losing. Like anything, it's like, it's Jake Muzzin who you listen to. It, it, he is the guy who makes the most sense. I don't know if you heard my dog whining, but if you do, okay, you might continue whining. Um, but he's the guy who always speaks uh, with, with honesty, but also intelligently. Mm-hmm. Like it makes sense when he, uh, when he speaks and it, he's the one guy who is giving you real stuff. He is a huge part of this leadership core. He's the but adult. He, he, exactly. He is the adult of this team. And if, if I'm doing anything this summer, I'm encouraging Muzzin as much as possible to be in everyone's ear, mm-hmm. to be coaching up in the same way that they instructed John Tavares to do during the, the pandemic break and Jason Spezza to do. He is so incredibly important to this team beyond his impact on the ice. And it was shown again today. And he's the one guy today who makes me hopeful that the fact that this team will get there. Because mm-hmm. if he's leading the charge, it's possible. No, you're right. He was, think about every, the fact that there were multiple that we can point to is embarrassing, but think about every embarrassing loss that happened to the Leafs this year. David Ayers, Buffalo, two to, like Pittsburgh twice, all of those, all of those terrible blowout losses where the Leafs looked like they didn't even care about it at all. Jake Muzzin came out after and essentially spat truth. That, that was his job. Came out and said, we were not good enough. We, our, our desire to win does not seem like it's high enough. We don't, this is unacceptable. Whereas, whereas you know, again, like a guy like Mitch Marner would come out and say, oh, we need to stay off social media. That'll, that'll be the fix. Remember that? Like that was ridiculous. So Jake Muzzin, there, there's a lot of talk right now about potential um, potential moves that can be made in the offseason that no one other than maybe Matthews is really bolted down in the franchise. I think Jake Muzzin is probably the only guy who I would really, I wouldn't bolt down, but I would, it would take a lot for me to trade him right now because I think, like you said, his, his importance both on the ice as we saw, you know, what happened to the team after Jake Muzzin went down and also his, his, perform, his uh, importance off the ice. Um, it's, it's, it's vital to a team that needs, like they need babysitters. It's, a, it's unfortunate, but it's true. This team needs babysitters to keep them focused during, on their job during a regular season. And Jake Muzzin's one of those guys. And the team needs more of that. They need to go out and they get to, need, to have, need to get more guys like Jake Muzzin. Maybe not, you know, defensemen. They do need to get more defensemen, but maybe not like of the same caliber, but guys who will hold, it comes back to accountability, hold the team accountable because there's clearly not enough of it right now. And Jake Muzzin is one of, the, one of those voices that it doesn't, like, they love him, but it doesn't, I think Jason Spezza keeps him, keeps him accountable too, clearly, because he was literally fighting for, you know, the season. But I think Jake Muzzin does it in a less sugarcoating way. I can see Jake Muzzin in the locker room being like, hey, cut the crap here. You know, hey, like, actually look like you're focused. And be engaged out there. Whereas, like, Jason Spezza is like, come on, guys, we can do this. Like, it's, it's a different kind of thing. 
Um, and, and that's exactly what they need right now. I thought Jake Muzzin said some really good stuff, and I'm sure you're going to bring it up too. Zach Hyman said some really good stuff as well, specifically about pride of being a Toronto Maple Leaf, which I think that, which, again, like this kind of stuff should be being said by Marner too. He grew up here. His, we have a clip of him when he's like five years old. He can barely speak English at that point, And he's saying, my favorite team is the Toronto Maple Leafs. You remember to go out and be disengaged in a playoff game? Like, come on. So Zach Hyman, Zach Hyman and Jake Muslin were the two stars of this, but they were very few bright spots otherwise. No, I agree. And I guess the difference with Muzzin and Spezza, I think they do obviously both have value. And Spezza is saying he's hopeful to return and loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf. I think I you, can pretty much, Leaf. you can pretty much sew up the fact that he's going to be back next year and he still believes he has a lot to give. I think the Leafs believe that as well. But the difference between them is Jake Muzzin has done this. Jake Muzzin is a two-time Stanley Cup champion, I believe. Or maybe he's a one-time Stanley Cup champion he's with one Taxi Squad for the first. But he's been there. He's seen it. He's learned from guys that have done it. He comes from a championship pedigree. This is a guy they need to rally around completely. He is their guy in this sense. If there's going to be one guy who gets him out of this, it's Jake Muzzin. But you're right. Zach Hyman, impressive as well. And really, he should write the foreword for Steve Dangle's next book. He should. I want you to, I want you to listen to what he said. Because he, he, he actually gave you, as you mentioned, that, that hometown sort of perspective that Marner didn't. And a lot of what Marner said was just like, yeah, I'm saying – you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about people saying this, but you really are. That's kind of the vibe you get from him. But Hyman, he said, hold on, hold on. Before, like you, this... before you read that one second, I'm going to get a prop one second. Okay. Go for it. This isn't great for podcasting. So I will just continue on talking while Mike Stevens vacates his house. My dog here whines and complains about the fact that I don't have a ball that I'm ready to give him. Okay, uh, and now we are back. Go, go for it. Read the quote and picture it's coming from this face. Uh, this team is, oh, the Hyman quote. Okay. Yes. For it to end like this is frustrating. I understand where the fans are coming from. I understand what it means to care about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I get it. It sucks. We're building toward a point where it'll stop sucking. Maybe not the most eloquent thing in the world, but uh, this is a published author and I'm sure he could come together with a forward for a potential book. He should probably get his own book, let's be honest. But, he has his own book. Uh, He's an op, yeah. No, but he should, I mean, yeah, he should get his own non-trip. He should do like the, the Leaf breakdown autobiography of his trials and tribulations and, and maybe just, you know, all the misery that potentially is to come uh, if he does indeed extend his stay, which he did say obviously he wanted, but He's only got one more year left on his deal, I believe. And, and he's got obviously something to play for, but Hyman, Hyman just gives you that. He gives you that realness. He gives you that perspective and he understands exactly what's going on. So this isn't a surprise to him. And as much as he is a huge member, a huge uh, important piece for this team, uh, he wasn't that guy in this playoffs and he's going to, I have no doubt that he's going to bounce back and be that guy for them uh, and be very important next year. Uh, but for now, it's just words, and, and he's got to be better when it really matters most uh, for it to stop sucking, I guess. But the thing about Hyman is that he's not being paid to take over games. So, like, yes, he's, he's very important to this team, and you want everyone firing all cylinders, but given his, given his role, given his, his you know, um, percentage of the salary cap, everything, when Zach Hyman – is not on his A game. It should hurt the team less than when a superstar is on his A game. And there's some leeway with that. But when you demand the amount of money that these superstars are getting paid and you don't show up, that's just, you don't get to hide from that. 
the, you know, Zach Hyman's like, there's a reason why people aren't talking about how Zach Hyman didn't really show, didn't really play that well in that series. That's because he makes $2.25 million a year, whatever. Cody Cece makes literally double that, but it, it's different. Whereas like Marner makes five times that and he performed probably just as, as the same, if not worse, that's going to have a bigger impact on where this team goes. And I, I, I love Zach Hyman's positive approach. I think that this team is close. The, any team with Austin Matthews and John Tavares on the same roster is close to winning a Stanley Cup, no matter what. But there are just these hurdles that they cannot clear. And with the way that a lot of these players and, and management and coaches and everything we're talking today, it doesn't look like they're going to clear them anytime soon, or at least there's no faith of that. The, every, everyone's comfortable. Everyone's coming back. We're getting the band back together. We're going to run it back. It'll be fine. And you cannot, like, and it goes back to my point where you cannot trust this team to be able to motivate itself for the better of the team. You need to make it personal for them. You need to make it, you know, you need to give them that Jordan and then it became personal for me kind of approach. And that will fuel them to success. At least that's what, that's the only thing left that can fuel them to success. Otherwise there's nothing. So we've seen that, that they can't be motivated for the better part of the team. And now you're giving them, and now, and now essentially you're giving them a, not a free pass, you're giving him this, the, you know, the wherewithal to be like, okay, well, you know, I guess we can try again next year. It's fine. You know, water under the bridge. No, you should be stewing over this all summer. You should, this should be haunting your dreams. You should be doing, you should be, you know, every single time you lift a weight, every single time you shovel spinach into your body in the off season, every protein shake you have, you should be thinking of, that this is going to my body. So I do not repeat the hell that we just went through last year. And it seems like they're confident. It seems like it's not hell right now. They just want to move forward. They want to go golfing. It's, it's a shame. Third on the podium in terms of at least their performance over Zoom uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I guess it is now. Time, you know, uh, was Austin Matthews. Uh, he was, for the sole reason that he was just honest. I mean, he said it was embarrassing to lose again, that he's not concerned with the outside, outside noise and what everybody's going to write about this team. I give him credit for at least speaking his mind and not doing it in a way where he's trying to sugarcoat anything. Uh, but what he also said was inches. The only reason they lost this series was the inches involved in this game. And this wasn't, you know, Al Pacino in uh, any given any Sunday, Sunday, but he's right. A movie, movie reference. reference. Look at you. Stop the tape. <laughs> uh, but yes, it, I mean, it was kind of coming down to inches. Uh, obviously John Tavares with that empty net hitting the post, but guess what? There was also a miracle involved. Yes. So as much as that was inches, uh, if you're within inches, you're not within inches without a downright miracle and you can use whatever movie you want to, uh, you know, compare it to the miracle that the Maple Leafs had themselves in game four. Yeah. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have been that close. It shouldn't have gone to game five. It shouldn't have required a miracle. They should have won very handily. This was a this was Columbus Blue Jackets team that, you know, had lost a lot of players in free agency last year. It was dealing with injuries and that it was 27th ranked in offense. You should, with the amount of, yes, they're an elite penalty killing team and a very good defensively structured team. But if you, with the amount of money of firepower that you have up front, you should be able to, you know, outscore that team any day of the week. And they didn't. They got shut out twice. Once in an elimination game, how do you, how do you come back in that miracle? Take all that momentum, feel like, you know, you're on top of the world. People are talking about, people were already teeing up Leafs first Tampa. 
people were already doing that in, in the market, but you, you feel on top of the world, you just set history and you go out and you lay an egg like that. How does that happen as a professional athlete? As a professional in any, in any category here, if you're getting paid that much money to do any profession, you should at least do it with some aplomb and they didn't. And so I appreciate that Austin Matthews was honest. I think that's what you want from these players, but he was, he was kind of losing the force in the trees in that, yes, in the context of the series, it wasn't just a separated them, but it shouldn't have had, there shouldn't have had to be a margin that was that close in the first place. They should have beat Columbus four games max. I had them in three. And here we are talking about another lost, another wasted leaf season where we really didn't learn anything. Okay, I think that gives us a nice little peg to work around. Uh, yes. Maybe the most honest from you, honesty from Matthews, honesty from Mike Stevens. Uh, but I am going to relate it back to the Leafs one more time as we transition into the, Le uh, the Lightning and, Bl and Blue Jackets uh, mm -hmm. game one, which was the epic eight-period Braden Point, you know, the record amount of shots for the Lightning, record amount of saves for Jonas Corpusalo, who apparently is also good against other teams that are not the Maple Leafs. But John Cooper had one of the epic post-game Zoom oh, conferences. It was incredible. Is, I mean, but, yeah, he was incredible. And one thing he said was that the entire key for them was th that they had to resist sacrificing anything from their defensive game in order to chase a moment offensively. And I could not, when he said that, it was almost perfectly – describing what went wrong with the Leafs, at least in some of those overtime periods mm -hmm. where the Leafs were just forcing it to a certain extent. Yeah, they had all that zone time, but they were forcing it and leaving themselves exposed every time they were in a chase position. And the, that's the difference. There are a lot of differences actually between the Lightning and Leafs. If you, look at the, if you look at the Lightning roster, like as much as the Leafs are very talented, the Lightning, it's just insane. They the are a remarkably, good. remarkably talented team. But their discipline in those moments to have 88 plus shots, I believe it was 88 shots. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And to not make a mistake defensively. It was a remarkable performance for them. And it might be the game that springboards the lightning into what we all expect them to do, which is to win a Stanley cup. There was so much to gain from that game. One win that is if they're able to walk today. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that they are able to walk today. Like it's, it, that was one of the most like just perplexing games I've ever watched in hockey. I didn't think that Sportsnet's like, you know, scorecard at the bottom went as high as it did for both the shots and for the overtime period. It looked It's funny you say that because the Scotiabank arena has the, has shots and it's mm -hmm. obviously two digits yes. and it was at, it was at 80, eight, like high eighties. And I'm like, what do you do? I want, I don't know if they can fit three digits there. I'm pretty sure it won't happen. And I wanted it to happen just for that reason. Obviously uh, I was a little tired at that point. So I was okay with that. Word. Yeah. You were just at that point, you had like the Stockholm syndrome. You're getting really excited about, about you know the the logistics behind the shot clock that would have been great yeah yeah, um, yeah that's, that's that's how sad it was that's where we are in these playoffs that's true you you got essentially you got two free games of hockey so that was pretty cool um and it's my it's of i'm of the opinion that the uh, the lightning should have a two and a half game lead in the series because that's exactly how much they played but no it's yeah that was that was unbelievable Jonas Corposalo, that is one of the that is the J.S. Jaguar in the, I think it was 2003 Stanley Cup Finals. Um, it was the one where he won the, the uh, Conn Smythe for the Ducks, even though they lost, because he was just so unbelievable.
but that was one of the best goaltending performances we've ever seen. Like it was, that was unbelievable. He was standing on his head, the amount of grade A shots that Tampa got, the amount of, of, of pressure. I mean, I know that the, sh- that the numbers got up so high in the shot clock that we kind of, you know, lost, uh, lost track of what the margin was, but Tampa outshot Columbus by like 20 shots in the game. Like it's like, they basically outshot them by like a, a ratio of, of like three to one. It, it was, it was remarkable. And for Corpus Allo to stand on his head and push them that far, like kudos to him. If, if they, if, if Columbus makes it even to like the Stanley cup final and he, like he should be in the, in, in the running for Conn Smythe, no matter what happens there. So it's, yeah, it, it was, it was unbelievable. But the torts, the torts presser after was the most memorable for me. It was like a rap battle, except it was, it was remarkable. There was report, there were reporters that choked on the questions. I, I'm not sure if it was a zoom call, like call or something, but twice. Oh yeah, it would have been. Twice the, it obviously was, but twice the, um, uh, the, the PR person was saying, can you please repeat your question, speak up. And then eventually they just moved on to someone else. Like it, it was, it, again, this is a movie reference. It was like when Papa Doc choked rap battling B rabbit in eight mile. It was, it was remarkable. I have seen that, but I, if you didn't say eight mile, I would have had no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I, I, uh, I guess I have the opportunity to ask John Tortorella a question at some point in this playoffs, but I, I just don't think I have the guts for it. Yeah. I was gonna say, do you have the stones to do that? I don't I don't think I do. No what, mortal man. You, you mentioned Corpus Allo in this, like, Many maybe, times. One of the, maybe one of the single best goaltending performances ever. I don't know. If that, that might be a little too strong just because, but in know, terms man. of at least volume and workload, it's right up there. I mean, but I would argue, crazy. I would argue that Vasilevsky was maybe better than him in that game, which is, which is unbelievable because he gets all the credit, right? Because all those, the, the shot numbers. And Vasilevsky, you know, he made some really great saves, and that was a, a certainly an A-plus goaltending performance from him. But what I could not help but notice in that game is that Vasilevsky was just improving as the game went on. He mm-hmm. looked more and more con- in control, and, like, he was just up to this challenge where it's like, you can go as long as you want because nothing's ever going in on me. It, that's the vibe I got from Vasilevsky, who is not just the best goaltender in the league, but an absolute athletic freak. Yeah. I mean, he, I, don't, I don't know how this team loses because of the talent up front, but I don't know how they lose at all with Andre Vasilevsky in that. He is that good. He is amazing. He kept, he kept improving as the game went on. And if it had gone another period, he would have like ascended to an astral plane of existence. Like at that point, it was crazy. But no, like playing goaltender is essentially like doing a wall sit. And he did a wall sit for like six hours. Like it was, cr- both goalies did. It was crazy, except Vasilevsky was the one who walked away victorious. That was, that was a... If nothing else, that should have been like on fear factor as like a feat of um, human endurance. Like David Blaine should be like, for my next trick, I'm going to do, I'm going to play goaltender and stop, you know, 80 shots in a six overtime playoff game. Like it was, it was, I keep saying the word remarkable because it was like, there's nothing else that comes to my mind. It was just a feat of athletic, you know, endurance and excellence. Does this change anything for you about the lightning? I don't know what your pre- playoff take was but what are, what are your thoughts on their prospects moving forward here are you are, is, are they the team to beat in the NHL as a whole they're not the team to beat in the NHL I think Colorado is I think that they're just incredible but given given even though there's a lot of personnel change from last year um with Columbus uh Columbus did sweep them in the first round handed them one of the worst um yeah, has one has one of the wor- had one of the worst uh, like playoff sweeps and playoff disappointments. If we're talking about that with the Leafs, we'll talk about the Lightning too. They had an absolutely 
horrible choke last year. And I think that being able to get this win, in the, even in the fashion that they did, which, which was, again, like a feat of endurance, it was, you know, we need to stick this out and stay engaged the whole time. I think that is like the, I think if, if Columbus had won that game, they were going to win the series for sure. Because it was just like, well, I think the lightning would have crumbled into the, oh, here we go again, guys. But instead, they stuck with it for two, for over two games, two full games. It was three games, basically, of, of hockey in one night. And they walked away victorious. And I think now after that, they can think, they're, they're thinking, if we can do that, we can beat them in any, in any way. And I think that, that, that the lightning would take the series. But as for the team to beat, we're going to have to find out. But Colorado is just, uh, you know, we were talking about it in our NHL Talks video. They are just so, so deep, so skilled. They play hockey the way you want them to play. I, if for no other reason, I want a Colorado-Tampa final, just because I think that would be the sport at its peak at its moment. I think we both picked the Carolina Hurricanes as our Eastern Conference favorites mm -hmm. on the NHL talks you just referenced. Um, so if given the opportunity, I'd probably like to go to Tampa Bay just on what we've seen in their game ones. Obviously, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes lost in overtime to the Boston Bruins, who don't look like the team they look like in the exhibition or play in. I guess it was the round robin for them. Uh, they looked like the same old Boston Bruins. Now, this game was on during the uh, Leafs uh, Zoom calls, so I didn't watch it as closely. But the Carolina Hurricanes look like they just kept that standard, but the Boston Bruins have raised their game, and they are still potentially, uh, if not the Tampa Bay Lightning, then they're probably the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, Boston. Uh, Boston's looked really good. They looked. The thing was, they looked shaky. In in um, it, yeah, it, they looked. They looked shaky uh, in in the round robin, and now they're now they're doing pretty well. It's uh, I'm I'm just so exasperated talking about Boston in the playoffs. To be honest, I, yeah, I'm not sure I you mean, can tell with by my voice there. I just I'm I can't. I'm getting PTSD from it. And it's not even from anything to do with the Leafs. It's that they're just always there. It's, it's sort of shaping up like this is all going to go like – this, this whole play-in round was built to blow up in the face of the Toronto Maple Leafs. To tie it back, obviously, this is the final Leaf edition of Leaf Laugh Leafs, all Leaf edition, or mostly Leaf edition of Live Laugh Leafs for a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, but it looks like as we look forward to what's going to happen, it's Boston, it's Tampa, it's Columbus being probably worse than Tampa but better than the Leafs. Like, it's just not adding up to anything that favorable. And when you watch these teams, you just seem to realize how far away the Leafs yeah. are. And when we listen to them to the, today and them not seeming like they're far away, and maybe they're not that far away. I don't think they're that far but, away, but they're far but with away. Everything that, with everything that we heard and their staunch belief in what they're doing and, and how it seems like they're just going to run it back, it's very concerning. And it's only going to get a little bit more eye-opening as these playoffs continue. I was gonna I was gonna ask this off the top, but I guess we'll ask you off the bottom then. Um, if the Leafs had beaten Columbus, if they if they you know pulled it out, what do you think they would have done against Tampa? It's I mean it's tough to say. I think the matchup is better. I think they'd be free to do what they do, but we don't know what would happen with Jake Muzzin. The good news we didn't get to it is that he is feeling a lot better, and he would have been an, it would have been potentially an option for the next series. They hadn't actually had those discussions yet. Uh, so it's worth just saying that he's he's good and a full recovery expected and all that. But when I look at the Tampa team and the Toronto team, the difference is in the depth. Mm -hmm. Like you look at Anthony Sorelli. Yes. Or even Mitchell Stevens. Andre Palat playing like fourth line minutes. Like these are players that can not just facilitate stars, but drive player play all by themselves. 
Mm-hmm. And when the Leafs stacked their line and had that nuclear option and have nothing underneath and William Nylander can't play center to an ad- adequate degree, at least from a defensive standpoint, you just see the difference. The Leafs don't have an Anthony Sorelli. No. They just don't. They don't have those, those same players. It is not, he is, Alexander Kerfoot's not as good. So when I think they match up, even, or when you match up player for player, it's not close, I don't believe, on the offensive front. Remember, Steven Stamkos isn't playing yet either. Yeah. And then on the defensive aspect, like they've got, I mean, we talked about Zach Bogosian before. He's playing with Victor Hedman looking like a star. Chernak and McDonough, Shattenkirk and Sergachev on the third pairing. Like That's it's crazy. not close when comparing the defense. And I don't even think the offense is that close either. So while anything could happen, I think the Leafs would prefer that matchup just for, you know, the fact that they don't have to deal with a team like Columbus and a coach like John Tortorella. I still think it's the same thing, don't you? I think, I think it is. Like, it's – I don't know. Tampa is just so deep. And when you think about their secondary scoring, like, the Leafs got one goal from their secondary scores, and it came from Nick Robertson, who they scratched in the final game. So it's just everything that the Leafs do, there's an asterisk that makes it just so impossible to, to you know, give them credit for anything. And so, yeah, like, Tampa, they like, – like you said, Anthony Sorelli is the perfect player to key in on. They don't have an Anthony Sorelli who – will not make headlines, but that guy could have been a Selkie nominee for this year. And he can play and he can push the play on his own. He doesn't have to have someone push it for him. He doesn't have to, you know, play with a star to, to be a positive impact. Like I think a, a Kerfoot needs to do. He's just a incredibly solid player who can do all these things that the team wants, who is not making a ton of money and who is, you know, who you can rely on. And, and, and the, the roster is filled with that. The fact that they, like they did with Zach Bogosian, what I think Dubas wanted to do with Cody Ceci, except Zach Bogosian is making, you know, 1.3 million and uh, is, is actually performing on the top line. So, or the top um, defense pairing. Tampa is just a very well-oiled machine that knows who they are. They're proud of who they are and they don't seem to make excuses. Even the, even the, the statement from when they got swept last year was, you know, we're, we're just as sad as you are. We know, you know, we know you don't want excuses. We don't have any. And it just seemed like today with the Leafs, there were a lot of excuses. And as, as, as you say, I don't think that the Leafs are too far away from a team like Tampa. I really don't think they're too far away from a, from a contender, but they are absolutely not there yet. And I think the team, I think the team is a little, after what just happened, I don't know if the team should be as confident in where they are. And for the fact that they kept saying, Oh, we're right there, guys, we're right there. I think they should have maybe taken a little step back and be like, we're clearly not there yet. So maybe let's hold our horses and prove it first. Great teams can get embarrassed. We saw that with the mm-hmm. Blue Jackets or with the Lightning last year losing to the Blue Jackets. But it's how they respond, right? Exactly. They responded by changing the makeup of their team, but not going crazy, not blowing it up, just changing, tweaking, adding some more talent. Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow, just looking really deep. And it looks like they're going to atone for those mistakes because they're frankly the better team. They're better than the Columbus Blue Jackets. They have the lead they needed. They're going to win that series, I believe. Toronto Maple Leafs haven't proved they're a great team at any point yet. But what they also haven't done is atone for their mistakes. They haven't realized their mistakes. They haven't admitted their mistakes. They haven't done anything about their mistakes. So until they do that, we cannot put them in the same class as the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's why one team is playing and one team is not playing. And that's simply it. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. I, I, I agree. If there's a good thing about the Leafs crashing out, it means there should be a lot happening. Maybe not a trade with the Big Four, but a lot of things happening, and we're going to give you live reaction 
immediately, as fast as we can after those deals go down this offseason. For now, we're going to talk about the teams that are actually playing games. We're going to keep doing these podcasts twice a week, I believe, is the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so content is still going to be there, even though these guys are going to go into another summer. This time it's actually summer. But going into another summer uh, to think about what just happened, like the year before and the year before and the year before. Hopefully something changes this offseason. We cannot wait to talk about it. Mike, I'll give you the final word. The last time the Leafs won a playoff series, I was eight years old. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.